The podcast you're about to listen to may contain random lines from musical theater, terrible attempts at regional accents, and a sincere discussion about mental health. You have been warned. Are you ready to start singing with your feet? Formidable! Allez, c'est parti! Juste dans la joie Une joie profonde Nos cœurs, elle inonde Cette joie, elle vient du ciel Non, nous ne sommes pas fous Welcome to Sing With Your Feet My name is Lily Fields And I'm going to be your fairy godmother For the next half hour or so I've been telling you for the last six weeks or so that things are heating up over here in Mulhouse, France. Well, certainly not the weather, but this fairy godmother's life has turned into something rather chaotic in that let's move a family of four across the Atlantic with only suitcases kind of way. So when I was telling you back in September that I was dealing with my stuff, I was delightfully naive. Like, I was all happily Pollyanna about there being a perfect place and a perfect way to give everything we own away except for what would fit in our suitcases. But because I believed it, I was unafraid. Well, let me tell you something. The stuff has been hitting the proverbial fan. I went through our immense collection of books, and I made little piles that I thought might be of interest to certain people or certain families. Of course, because I am trying to do this moving thing without significantly impacting my scalawag's experience of our home life, I do this while they're at school. And then I move my piles back into the storage closet so that they don't have the feeling that we're in the middle of a move. Same with my knitting supplies, my spinning wheel, my raw wool, my sewing machine, my art supplies, my fabric. Oh, la, 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 la. On Friday, a friend came to pick up a gigantic wall hanging that I made years ago that has been proudly adorning my dining room. On Saturday, I delivered my precious evening gown collection to the home of a friend with whom I share a love of fashion. For all that it breaks my heart to do this, the fact that I am bringing so much joy to the people I love is a phenomenal reward. I could soar on this joy right here for years. So this is really happening, and I am glad I never worried about everything would go when we started down this path. Last year, we talked a lot about creativity. I know that many of my Cinderella's are the crafty type. We are just as likely to stay up all night saying, oh, just one more row when we are deep in a knitting project, as we are to end up serving dinner at 9 o'clock p.m. because we have been using the table to cut out a pattern on the table, and it simply cannot be moved until it's finished. The life-interrupting ebb and flow of creativity is something we creative types struggle with in a real way. We can suffer in a dry spell at any point in the creative process, too. It happens at the most inconvenient times. Like, once we've gone to the trouble of actually printing out that knitting pattern we invested hours in scoping out on Pinterest, spent a small fortune on really nice yarn and the perfect buttons and the new needles because we didn't have those 375 millimeter circulars, and of course, gauge matters, the pretty stitch markers. Oh yes, we have everything we need, and suddenly we find that we have lost the drive to actually cast on. 
Not that we actually moved on to something else, though. We just lost interest in that thing. So three years later, we are trying to put some order to the chaos of our crafting supplies, and we find that beautiful yarn and the pattern with the stitch markers, and we realize that we never even started it, and we start to feel foolish. That's the worst, isn't it? Suddenly, the urge goes away, and that ebb of creativity leaves us feeling empty and worthless. But... There's a counterpoint to this too, isn't there? We can be so absolutely inspired that we will figure out how to do a project even without the proper tools. I remember one period of my life, this was like 20 years ago, when we were snowed in over Valentine's Day and I was, how do I say this? I was knitting curious. I hadn't invested in all the knitting paraphernalia that I have now, but I did have a pair of chopsticks from my favorite Chinese restaurant and some old t-shirts. So I sliced up the t-shirts, made myself yarn, and I made myself a scarf. This is the challenge of creativity. It cannot be controlled, and it cannot be contrived. Creativity, being the wild beast that it is, cannot be tamed, but it can be coaxed and cultivated. So today, I want to talk about how, even in the midst of an immense life change like a transatlantic move, we can still indulge in creativity without investing in anything new, and how to expect unexpected moments of creativity to keep us from losing our minds. So creativity is one of our 19 ideal life themes, as you may remember, and this season we are digging into those different themes. These themes overlap in different ways to bring certain areas of our life into focus, and the more themes overlap, the more potential there is for joy. And joy is our objective in all things, all the time. Well, our theme for this week is creativity. And first up today, I want to talk about how relationships and creativity can overlap to bring us tons of unexpected joy. Being creative, for many of us creative types, is an intensely personal activity. I mean... I'm trying to write a book right now with my eight-year-old scalawag, and while I love him with all my heart, collaborating with him is not easy. I prefer to write when he's not here and then have him read what I wrote and give, it his, give his input. And I think of my mother, who is one of the most creative people I know. While she can be inspired by crafts that other people make, she is very independent when it comes to figuring out how to recreate them. Right now, at this juncture in my life, I am more in a season where I'm giving away my crafting supplies and accumulating them. This is heartrending sometimes, more than sometimes. It is horrendously heartbreaking. On the other hand, discovering that some of my friends are secret crafters has been an unexpected delight. For example, one of my friends, Tessa, she sent me a photo of something that she was knitting. I had absolutely no idea that she was a knitter, and I was so delighted to learn it. We had tea the other day and then visited the Christmas market here in Mulhouse. Our Christmas market is a veritable tradition, something extraordinary. Because Mulhouse is historically a textile printing hub, every year Mulhouse produces a limited-release Christmas fabric with which the city creates all of its holiday decorations. It is always majestic and beautiful, and every single year, it is different. We can purchase this fabric, and many people do, just to have a piece of history of our city. 
It's usually appropriate for tablecloths and napkins or little decorations. I will definitely miss this little tradition. Anywho, I digress. Tessa and I went to the Christmas market, and we got to talking about where we buy our yarn in Miruz. I knew of a little treasure of a yarn shop, and I took her there. Naturally, the temptation to buy something to make myself... For example, that adorable little red beret I've been wanting to knit. Oh, it was very, very strong. But I powered through it while we drooled our way through the gorgeous colorways of marina and alpaca and bamboo. Tessa had a project in mind, and I used this to focus my temptation. And genuinely, I was so, so happy to help her find a place to indulge in our little shared crafting passion. No, I wouldn't have my cute little red beret, but her husband would have that matching striped hat and scarf, and I would have a really fun memory of walking into a yarn store and walking out empty-handed. So one way that I've been able to find joy in creativity, even though I, myself, am sincerely trying to divest my crafting supplies, is by investing in my creative friends and their creative projects. Likewise is true with another creative project, one I was asked to participate in by someone that you, my Cinderella, knows very well. You know Matt, of the opening disclaimer and the theme song for the podcast? Well, he's one of my musician friends, and he's working on a touring show of his recent album. Last weekend, he brought together what he called the Brain Trust, that is, me, two other ultra-creative people, and himself, and we hammered out a storyline and a vision for the show. I've said this before, but I love to be around creative people. I love brainstorming with people who have open minds, who are willing to listen at least as much as they like to speak, who respect the creative ideas of others, and who love to laugh. In my world, brainstorming is an Olympic sport, and when it's done correctly, no one ever loses. Everyone wins a medal, and everyone walks away unable to sleep from the adrenaline coursing through their veins. At one point, the creativity was so volcanic that I think we scared Matt for the safety of his kitchen. That's how creativity should work. That we need to put up plywood boards on the windows to protect them from the hurricane force winds of creativity whipping at the glass. Truly, Investing in the creative projects of our friends, whether it is a 20-year-old knitting project or a small fortune for a touring show, investing our time and talent in someone else's creative projects reaps significant profit in terms of joy. Now, I want to digress for a second and talk about brainstorming because whether you are a chronically creative person like me or someone who absolutely in no way identifies as a creative, you will probably find yourself in a brainstorming session at some point in your adult life. This can happen at work, at a PTA meeting or some other association that you're on the board for, at a neighborhood meeting. It can happen in the heat of summer or at the holidays when you're trying to figure out how to make a special holiday memory for your family. Brainstorming is when two or more people get together with a goal, either a problem to solve, an event to plan, a vision to articulate, and everyone has the opportunity to express their ideas. We don't always realize what we're getting into when we volunteer to help out on a project. It's reasonable to think that, for example, by the time we have agreed to help hand out donuts at the parent-teacher breakfast, that all of the wrinkles have been worked out of the event. 
And that's when we find ourselves astonished to learn that, yes, while the idea of serving at a donut breakfast was what we signed up for, no one has gone any further than the concept phase. No one has thought about coffee. Or maybe if they have, no one has considered that not everyone drinks coffee, and that maybe some people might take sugar with their tea. And when we, the humble, slightly creative volunteer, starts asking those kind of questions, we are faced with one of two responses. You are too much, aka who do you think you are? Or, well, why aren't you in charge of this? I'm thinking of my friend Tessa again, who somehow ended up being in charge of the English library at the school our children go to, not because she wanted to be a children's librarian, but because she volunteered to help spend one afternoon covering up the donated books with plastic and asked a question along the lines of, is there a plan for the teachers to bring the children to use this library? The problem is, she didn't want to be in charge of the library. She was just asking questions. Oh, I get myself into trouble with things like this all the time, too. But more the who-do-you-think-you-are kind of way. The fact that I talk a lot and have a million crazy ideas means that I get the side-eye from a lot of people once I get involved in a project. And I avoid, at all costs, getting involved in projects with people who do not know how I am. I once worked with someone who felt the necessity of apologizing for me when we would sit down in a brainstorming meeting with people outside of our creative team. I found this to be infantilizing because I am generally a good judge of a room and I don't think that I ever once made a suggestion that was shocking or inappropriate. What he felt like he had to apologize for was that I believe that everyone should have an opportunity to speak in a brainstorming meeting, even if it is to disagree with something else that was said. I believe that humor is the helium that keeps an idea afloat while we are brainstorming. So, yes, I put people on the spot to share their ideas, but I try to do it with humor. For some reason, this colleague would say, don't be offended by her. She is always like this, belittling me for trying to get everyone to speak. So that's what it was like working in a creative field dominated by men who had never been faced with a competent, creative woman who was not easily intimidated. Nonetheless, we made some pretty amazing things happen. And I still cling to those memories as proof of my bona fides in the creative project management space. Anywho, I want to share some of the rules that I have established for brainstorming sessions. They work, even if the people you are brainstorming with don't realize that you're applying them. Remember, a lot of people who want to brainstorm or see the need for a project are not necessarily creative people. So they have no idea how to respectfully disagree creatively, and they have no idea how to draw creativity out of other people. So here are my rules, and I think that they might help you the next time you find yourself getting dragged into a creative project. Rule number one, brainstorming is not optional. It allows everyone on the team to take the temperature of the engagement of everyone else on the team. It brings to the surface conflicting ideas and goals which need to be worked out before too much investment is made in the project. Brainstorming is obligatory and will pay dividends in the success of the project later. Number two, a brainstorming session should be limited in time because setting a limit makes the whole thing more urgent. And here is a universal truth. 
Urgency helps dislodge creativity. Open-ended meetings, meaning that no decisions or next steps are required to emerge. Three hours is a maximum for a first meeting, no matter how much you want to keep going when it's over. After three hours, energy starts to wane and it becomes more difficult to control our impulses to be negative. If three hours seems too long, then even an hour can be enough to get the creative juices flowing, but nothing less than an hour should ever be dedicated to brainstorming. Number three, there must be food at a brainstorming meeting and not healthy stuff. I mean like coffee. Peanut M&M's, Subway cookies, chips, the kind of stuff where people in the heat of the action are like, oh, get this stuff away from me. This is part of the fun of brainstorming, eating junk food. The person with the most vested interest in the success of the project should be the one who supplies the most addictive stuff. But if the person who has the most to gain by the outcome is not a creative type, then it falls on your shoulders, my favorite creative person, to be the one who nourishes the creativity with junk food. At the very least, it means that everyone has something delicious and addictive to stuff into their mouths to keep it shut while someone they disagree with expresses himself. The better the food, the better the brainstorming meeting trust me on this. Number four, every single person deserves the opportunity to speak, even if what they say is utter nonsense. In order to create some order in the chaos, which is a brainstorming session, consider creating a series of timed rounds, like first round, second round, with each person getting two or three uninterrupted minutes to speak, no matter what kind of nonsense they come up with. If everyone on your creative team is capable of holding their tongue while other people speak, you might not need this step. But if you're faced with shy people who don't like to speak in front of others or with people who don't like to hold their tongues, setting up interruption-free rounds is one way to manage this. Have a timer, one that makes noise so that no one feels unfairly cut off. Remember what we said, urgency dislodges creativity. So these two or three uninterrupted minutes might just be what it takes to shake a good idea out of someone. Following this uninterrupted time with a rapid fire, no holds barred, knock down, drag out moment for people to chime in with their thoughts on what was said. This is how you can start to build on what was talked about, adding ideas, disagreeing with ideas, but always giving that uninterrupted time to the original speaker to share their idea. Number five, someone has to go first. It might as well be you. Walk into that meeting with a few ideas to throw onto the table. Couch it with, they may not be great, but I have a few thoughts to get us started. At the very least, it will be something that everyone else can dismiss while they start to articulate their own ideas. Remember, you may or may not be the person with the greatest vested interest in the success of this project, but if you are a creative type who believes in the power of brainstorming, then it falls upon you to throw out the first pitch. Number six, clarify, 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 restate, ask questions. Make sure you understand what is being said that everyone is on the same page. If something isn't clear for you, you can bet you aren't the only one. Plus, sometimes restating what was understood helps the person speaking to realize that what they said was incorrect. We're here to build something together, not to prove someone wrong. So clarifying and restating helps to do this in a respectful way and to work together better. Number seven, let there be comic relief. Nonsense is part of the fun of a brainstorming session, but off-topic or offensive nonsense needs to get called out immediately. Do this with humor, 
without attacking the person. Using the yes and method the way improvisational actors do is one way to deal with nonsense. Take what they say, say yes, and then add your own cockamamie idea. Usually this works to diffuse a situation and to bring everyone back to the subject at hand and no one is left feeling offended. Number eight, know everyone's role on the creative team. This isn't easy when you first start out because when we first start working with a creative team, we can feel like everyone is crazy and pulling in opposite directions. (sighs) I had a colleague once who was what we called the blue sky guy. The minute he would open his mouth, I would start rolling my eyes because it would feel like he was coming from another planet entirely. His ideas were unrealistic, unbelievably expensive. Like he was on a different creative wavelength from the rest of us. He was crazy and I dreaded every single idea that he would come up with. But the truth was, he knew how to dream bigger than I did. Me? I'm the realist. I'm the person on the creative team who is always trying to figure out how to do everything that is suggested with the budget at hand, or better yet, to do everything that is on our creative list for free. Therefore, I will write off any ideas that cost money, and especially those ideas that cost a lot of money. For a long time, I would argue with him during our brainstorming sessions because I didn't get it that he is just a different kind of creative person than I was. But once a blue sky guy was able to cast a vision that I could catch, I could set about figuring out how to make it happen for as little money as possible. One of my former colleagues, who I have talked about before on this podcast, it felt like his role on the creative team was to say no to every single thing that was suggested. He also was often the main stakeholder in our projects, so he was the one who would benefit the most from our session, yet he always had to say no. It was stronger than he was. His no didn't always mean no, however. And once I figured out that this was his role on our team, a role that is critical because it means that you have to be able to argue for your idea. It means you have to cast your vision in better terms so that he can catch it. It means you have to believe in what you're saying. If someone didn't believe enough in their idea, they wouldn't be able to argue for it, and it ended up on the cutting room floor. So yes, the no man is irritating, but he will make you a better creative person. Or my friend Matt, he's what I like to call the tennis fan. This person is like Switzerland. They seem like a neutral party. He's the one who will sit there, listening to everyone, his eyes bouncing between one person on the team and the others, giving them his undivided attention while they speak. He makes little sounds of agreement, no matter what is being said. He respects the craziness of the blue sky guy and me, the realist, and he also sees the validity in the no man. He listens well. And when you are the person on a creative team who is disagreeing with everyone else, it's nice to feel like you have somebody who at least isn't disagreeing with you. If I have become a fairy godmother today, it is because I am considered, humbly, by those around me to be something of a creative genius. I have done that because I have learned how to disagree respectfully with people and to recognize when I am putting limits on the outcome of a project because of my own biases. And I have learned how to recognize what every single person on a creative team brings to the table making sure that they articulate it correctly so that everybody understands what they're trying to say, and to validate, validate, validate. If that's what it means to be a creative genius, then now you have all the tools in your hands. And lastly, number 10, 
do not leave your creative session without giving everyone some homework. Ask everyone to state what they think the best idea to come out of the meeting was and what the objective going forward should be. It's smart to set a next meeting right away to sort through what was said and to give yourselves a next chance to figure out what might have surfaced in the meantime. Yes, there are a lot of rules for brainstorming, but I think that if you were to apply even a few of them to your next PTA or your next work meeting, you might just find you make a touch more progress than you did before. So earlier in this episode, I mentioned that sometimes creativity ebbs and flows, and flow, of course, is amazing. The ebb can be terrifying. When creativity ebbs, suddenly we lose that all-encompassing heartbeat that had heretofore inspired us. Suddenly, the project that we were working on day and night carries no delight in it for us anymore. <laughs> about six years ago, when my youngest was about a year old, I had several bins full of baby clothes that he had outgrown. Some of them had been worn by both babies, some were stained, some had been gifts that had never been worn because the season was never right for them to be of the right size. So I sorted through them, and I found a nice stack that could be donated because they were in good condition, there was a stack that I could turn into rags because they were beyond hope, and I also had an incredible stack of items that there was absolutely no way in this white world that I could ever give up. I had too many memories attached to them. So, at the time, I started cutting up the onesies and the t-shirts and sewing them together and turning them into a little baby onesie blanket, although I never actually finished it. It was more like a patchwork without the backing. Why is it so hard to finish things? Life just gets in the way. It's such a problem. I lost the flow of the creativity and I gave up. That blanket was used now and then by all of us, even if it wasn't finished. It was nice for warmer weather because it was made out of t-shirts, so it wasn't too hot. At some point, that t-shirt blanket got shoved to the back of a drawer and completely, and I mean completely and utterly, forgotten about. In the midst of this move, that blanket resurfaced, and instantly I was transported by how cute so many of those little onesies were. Within a few days of finding that blanket again, I was sorting through some of the Scalawags t-shirts. Notably, a few superhero t-shirts, a Seattle Mariners t-shirt, a Seattle Seahawks t-shirt, a few Star Wars t-shirts that were all too small to be worn again by those boys. But they had been so, 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 so loved that I knew the boys would not let me part with them. So I decided that I would finally finish that onesie blanket. I would back it with those t-shirts. So somehow the creativity that had been backed up for like five years finally got released and I was able to finish the thing. Now, did I get scolded by my children for cutting up their favorite t-shirts even though their belly buttons were on full display when they were wearing them? Yes, yes I did. Are they fighting over who gets to use the blanket now? Why yes, yes they are. And that makes me very, very happy. So, Cinderella, how are things going in your creative life? Let's talk about your ideal life exercise, shall we? What's working? What isn't working? 
Is there anything you need to be thinking about? Is there a brainstorming project that you need to just get a few ideas down on paper so that the meeting can go better when you attend it? What is one of the things that you can do today to get closer to your ideal life in the area of creativity? If you haven't noticed, talking about creativity is one of my favorite things to do in this world. If this is something that you love to, or even if it's something that you don't love, but that you love people who are creative and you want to understand them better, I would highly recommend getting your hands on a book that's called Living with a Creative Mind by Jeff and Julie Crabtree. They have all kinds of resources for creative people and the people who love them. It helped me become a more effective leader on creative teams and it has made it possible for me to draw creativity out of people who didn't realize that they were creative by helping me make environments that encourage creativity. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I know that it's been a while and it might be kind of irregular for a little bit, but that you know that I'm always thinking of you and you know where you can find me on Instagram at lilyfieldschallenge or you can also find the podcast Sing With Your Feet on Instagram as well. I want to give a great big thank you to Seven Productions here in Mulhouse, France for the use of the song La Joie as the intro and outro to the show, to Matt Kugler who sang it, and to Claude Equé who wrote it. This is your fairy godmother signing off. Just remember, it is never too late to start singing with your feet.